good morning. How y'all doing? Good. Um, and we're in our middle of our series called Disciple. And we're talking about what a disciple looks like. And what we've been saying up to this point is that Jesus... When you look at the Bible, really never calls anyone to be a Christian, but he calls people to be disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. That the word Christian only occurs three times in the New Testament. That the word follower or follow me occurs 49 times in the New Testament. And the word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. So really, if you just look at the Bible, the focus of the Bible is God wants us to become a disciple. Now, what we've been talking about, to be a disciple means you are a, anybody remember the word? Disciple means, thank you, learner. All right. Thanks, mom. Um, Disciple means learner, and it comes from the Greek word mathetes that's found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what he says. And we talked about what that means is uh, farmers in that day, they would take an older ox and they would uh, hook that older ox with a younger ox and the older ox would train the younger ox and the younger ox would learn from the older ox. And we talked about that really the entire thing of being a disciple means to be a learner, to learn from Jesus Christ. We talked um, uh, that next week, we talked about that a disciple should love Jesus more than anyone or anything, including family. And that's all about reprioritizing our relationships. Last week, we talked about that a disciple gives Jesus control over everything, that Jesus is the boss. And today, we have a really, really, really simple big idea today. And it's this. A disciple serves. That's it. A disciple serves. Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 23. We're going to look at a couple of verses before we get to the main passage of Scripture we're going to look at today. And that is in John chapter 13. So if you want to go ahead and start opening up your Bible to John chapter 13, we're going to get there momentarily. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the, it's the last of the Gospels written about Jesus Christ, and it's in the New Testament. So it's going to be, if you, if you go in the middle, you want to go to your right and go about maybe three-fourths of the way through, and you're going to find John. Matthew was written by Matthew all about Jesus. And listen to what Matthew um, says. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, verse 11 and 12. The greatest among you must be a what? Servant. Whoever makes himself great will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be made great. This is something that Jesus said, but this is also a premise that Jesus lived out his entire life. And this is what we're going to be looking at because a disciple is a servant. A disciple serves, and this totally flies in the face of our culture. I mean, if you think about it, the language that we use to get greater and greater is this. You know what? I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. All right? Another one is uh, I'm going to climb to the top. Um, uh, you're going to rise to greatness is another, is another thing that many times we say. But really what Jesus is saying here is, no, you don't rise to greatness. You descend to greatness because to be great means that you're going to be a servant. So let's turn to John chapter 13. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to set this up. 
In John chapter 13, this happened on a Thursday evening. Now, just to let you know kind of what's happening here, they're getting ready to eat a supper together. They're getting ready to eat. In fact, some of you, you've seen the Last Supper. You've seen the picture uh, uh, painted by Leonardo da Vinci. By the way, it looked nothing like that. They did not sit in chairs. They reclined. And in that day and age, in that culture, it was almost like being in an oriental culture in the fact that you, a lot of times you sat on your, on, your, on your bottom and you ate or you reclined. And they had a U-shaped table. And the, the person who's at the head of honor would sit, would sit at the bottom of that U. And whoever sat to the right or to the left were considered great positions. So this is the Last Supper. In 12 hours, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross. So this is his last moment with his best friends. So this is important. He spent three and a half years with his disciples. And this is the last bit. So everything he's going to say, everything he's going to do is of utmost importance. John chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come. That is, again, he knew that this was it. See, here's the thing about Jesus that's different than Jesus and you and me. Actually, there's a lot of differences, but here's a big one. Jesus knew when he was going to die. You and I don't. But Jesus knew this is it. So, last, last precious moments. Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth. And now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. And the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and that he would return to God. This is a sacred moment. You know, a lot of times we judge people by some of their last words or the things that they did in their in their last few hours. Jesus last few hours what we're reading here is so precious. He's hanging out with people that he's hung out with for three and a half years. He slept with these guys. He's ate with these guys. He was in boats with these guys. He did miracles with these guys. He just continually hung out day after day after day as his disciples were learning from Jesus. So this is a very intimate moment. Now, in order to appreciate what's happening here in John chapter 13, we got to get the setting, though, because there's something I'm leaving out. The, we, we, we're going to see in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, that they're having a discussion. In fact, it's really not even a discussion, it's an argument. This is what they say. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. See, that's the context of John chapter 13. You got all of these guys, these 12, fighting over who's going to sit next to Jesus. 
And Matthew starts up. Um, Matthew says, hey, listen, y'all know I am the treasurer. You know, I'm the money dude. And I kind of handle this stuff. And uh, I'm, a, I'm an important bigwig. I think it's my turn to sit next to Jesus. And then Judas, who's also, he, he was the treasurer, is actually what the Bible says. He says, you know what? I, you know, you may be a money man, but I take care of the money. I think it needs to be me. And then John says, oh, well, you don't seem to understand. I'm his, I'm his favorite. You know, which all the other disciples maybe wanted to punch him in the face when he said that. You know, I'm his favorite. And do you know, you know, you remember that whole thing where Jesus went up on the mountain and he was transfigured and he was glowing. And, you know, he was hanging out with Moses and Elijah. Y'all remember that? Because most of you don't because you weren't there. But I was there. And then Peter chimes in. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's just get this straight here. Yeah, y'all remember being in the boat in the storm? And they're all going, yeah, I remember that. See, I don't remember because I was walking on the water with Jesus. None of y'all had the courage to get out of the boat. So that's where I was. And Andrew says, Peter, you know, big brother, you're always, you know. And they're just, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that context... In that context is where we find John chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus knew that the Father had given him, and read those next three words, authority over everything. You remember, we talked about that last week. We talked what that looks like. To have authority over everything. That Jesus is the boss. Jesus was the most important person in that room. Everybody agrees that, right? Jesus was the most important person in that room. In fact, if you even want to go even broader than that. Jesus was the most important person at that time in the world. You see, you know, all the Caesars thought they, they were the fascizzle. Right? And all the Herods thought, whoa, 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 I am the king around here. And you had all these people vying for power, but really the most important person in the room, dare I say the most important person in that world, was in that upper room that Thursday night. So what did Jesus, the most important person in that room, how did he leverage his importance? What did he do to be able to get what he wants with his status? What did he leverage with his authority? Because all of us, we know how to leverage our own status, don't we? Don't we? Seriously. We bully our way in front of the line. We use our rank. We use our status to be able to get ahead, to get what's ours, to get what we want. That's, that's how we leverage our status. That's how we leverage our importance. That's how we do it. But how does Jesus do it? What does he do to leverage his status and his importance? Let's keep on reading. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and will return to God. He was the most important person in the room. So what did he do? So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist... And poured water into a basin. And there he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had around him. What do you do when you're the most important person in the room? What do you do when you are the master and you have authority over everything? What you do is that you serve other people. 
You know, and understand about this whole foot washing thing, because this is really kind of strange for us. Um, in that day and age, people wore, they didn't wear Nikes or Adidas, all right? They wore sandals. In fact, if, how many of y'all got flip-flops on today? How many of y'all are godly? Awesome, good. Um, they would wear something very similar to flip-flops or sandals. The, the sandals or the flip-flops would protect the bottoms of their feet, but in that day and age, they would walk on all these roads and they didn't have asphalt, amazingly enough. All right. Um, they had most of these roads all over Jerusalem and all over Israel were just dusty roads, dirty roads. I mean, caked with inches and inches and inches of dust. And that is if it's dry, if it's wet. It's even nastier. Now think about that. Back in that day, they didn't have cars. So they used animals to be able to pull their stuff. So that you have, you have people walking along this road and animals walking along this road pulling stuff. And what do animals do? Well, animals relieve themselves. They don't go off on the side of the road and say, excuse me, master, I got to go. You know, doesn't do that. They just kind of take a dump right there, right? We have to pull that out of the podcast. I'm not sure. But think about it. They do number two in the street, and there you are in your flip-flops, and it's squish, squish, and it's getting in your toes. I mean, are y'all enjoying how I'm telling this story? You see what I'm saying? It is nasty. Nasty. The best way I can use to describe it is when we were pastoring in Iowa, everybody in Iowa, when they came into your house, they took off their shoes. That's just what you do in Iowa. Because mo- at least where we were at, most of them were farmers, and they had been choring, they had been slopping hogs, they had been out calving, and if y'all don't know any of that is, just look it up, Google it. But they did all of this stuff, and they came in, and they literally had manure all over them. And they would take off their shoes at the door. Now see, what you would do and what they would do in that time is they would take off their shoes and they were, there would be a servant at the beginning of the door. It's just as they came in, you would take off your shoes and this servant would take the water and they would wash the feet. They would get in, in between the toes and they would, they would just slather it to wash those feet. And then they would take a towel and they would dry your feet. And then you could come in and you could hang out because you wouldn't get stuff dirty. That is what the whole purpose of this entire word picture that we're seeing in John chapter 13. Jesus disrobes his outer garments without hesitation He picks up a bowl filled with water. He picks up a towel. And as they're arguing over who's the greatest, let's not forget that. They're arguing over their status and their importance. Jesus disrobes, grabs a basin, fills it with water. And they're all going, what in the world is he doing? And he starts bending down and washing their feet. The same God... That with a breath made Mount Everest. And with just a quarter of his pinky created the Grand Canyon. That same God is now washing toe jam out 
between 12 nasty guys' feet, including Judas, the one who had already betrayed him. That's what Jesus is doing. That's, how, that's, that's what the most important person in the room does. Because Jesus was the most important person in the room. What did he do? He served. What are we supposed to do as disciples? We are supposed to serve. Jesus knew that he was God. He knew that he had the authority. He had the power. I mean, I don't know if I was Jesus. Number one, everybody would be in trouble. But if I was Jesus, I'd have probably said, listen, guys, don't you know? Y'all don't know this, but I know this. In 12 hours, I'm getting ready to be beat almost to death. I'm going to be crucified. So one of y'all, please get up and serve me. I mean, seriously. In 12 hours, I am going to be dying, not for my sins, but for your sins. So why don't some of y'all get up and actually start serving? But Jesus, with a painful glance, as they're arguing, washes his disciples' feet. Because that is what the most important person in the room does. They serve. Jesus knew exactly what he came to do, and that was to serve. In fact, Mark 10.45 says this, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And in that culture, it says he took off his robe. I think that's really interesting. Because in that day and age, it's kind of like um, if some of you come, come from Catholic churches or Episcopal churches or Lutheran churches, and many times they would wear, you know, the collars. And you know somebody's a priest because of the way they dress. You know what I'm talking about? Well, in, in that culture, it was very similar. They didn't wear the little white collars, but they would wear rabbinical garb. So Jesus takes off his, his garb saying that he's the rabbi, that he's the most important person in the room, that he's the teacher. He takes that off and he, t- he takes off at the pinnacle of his power. He removes his power to be able to serve other people. And by the way, when he does that, all the disciples are like, they start feeling uncomfortable. You need to put that thing back on. You need to put your rabbinical garb back on. They want to put him back up on that pedestal. And Jesus says, no, I am going to serve you. That's what I came to do. He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had around them. I've left this little thing out on purpose. But you know the, you know the type of people that would actually wash somebody's feet when they come in? The type of person, it wouldn't be the head of the house. It would be the lowest of the lowest of the lowest of the low slaves would do that. The lowest servant. In fact, many times they wouldn't even allow Jewish, the lowest of the Jewish servants to do it. They would use Gentile servants because they wanted the lowest of the low to be able to do that nasty job. Servants. Slaves, listen to how Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, listen to how, how low Jesus made himself. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, was Jesus God? Yes. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God something to cling to. Instead, 
He gave up his divine privileges. He, he was God. He was the most important person in the room. But he said, you know what? I didn't do this so that people could come and serve me. I, I, and he gave up his divine privileges. I, think about it. How often do we give up our privileges? Very, very few. Not often do we give up our own privileges. Because we want to get what's ours. Not Jesus. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. When he appeared in human form, he took the humble position of a servant. See, that's how low Jesus made himself. The same hands that performed so many miracles, the same hands that touched lepers, the same hands that cast out demons, the same hands that calmed the ocean is now the same hands that's removing dust and manure from 12 guys' feet. Jesus didn't leverage the power that was given to him. Though Jesus was the most powerful person in the room, he came to serve. Because that's what leaders do. That's what disciples do. Disciples serve. How about you? I mean, how about you here at One Church? Are you coming to be served or are you coming to serve? I mean, are you here to be a part of what God is doing or are you just here in a spiritual consumer mindset? When you get in, you kind of watch it and everything and you leave. Because so many times, I think God wants us all to be spiritual contributors to other people's lives. Because that's what disciples do. They come to serve. Let's keep on reading. John 13, 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? So think about this. He takes off his robe, his rabbinical authority, his teaching garment. He washes their feet and now he's putting back on his teaching garment. And guess what he's getting ready to do? Teach. (laughs) Exactly right. And you know why? Because discipleship is always caught. It's very rarely ever taught. Jesus, he's saying, you know what? If I just tell you these things, you're not going to get it. So I'm going to show you. And he gets down in the muck and the mire of their life. And now he's saying, do you understand what I have done for you? He just, he starts applying what they've just seen. John 13, 13. You call me teacher. By the way, does anybody remember what the word disciple means? Learner. That's right. So Jesus is teaching these learners. So you call me teacher and you call me Lord. We looked at that word last week. It's kurios. And it means to be the boss, the owner, the one in control, the one who has authority. So you call me teacher and you call me Lord. And you are right because that is what I am. Now, if you had to finish Jesus' sentence on leadership right here. And from the typical CEO standpoint, this is how I would have finished it. You call me teacher and you, and you say that I'm the boss and you know what? You're right. So next time, don't you ever come in here and just sit down and plop your behinds at the table and make me do this stuff. You see, that's what the typical CEO today would say. But that's not what Jesus said because Jesus didn't leverage his status. He served. Verse 14, and since I, your Lord and teacher, but he's saying, you know what? I'm more important than you. You are, you guys know that. I am the savior of the world. I am the leader of this ragamuffin band. 
Since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. You see, if you choose not to serve others, what you're saying is this. I'm, I'm greater than Jesus. If you choose not to serve other people, what you're saying is, you know what? I am greater than the Savior of the world. That's what you're saying. Verse 16, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Now let's take that principle and let's apply that and let's plug it into your life. How can you, what, how is God asking you to serve other people? For some of you, it may be your spouse. Some of you in here, you may live with somebody who is just a struggle to live with. How do you serve them? How do you serve her? You do it without complaining, without arguing. And what you, again, it, how, do you, how did Jesus leverage his importance? He served other people. So you do it and you serve your spouse, you serve your husband, you serve your wife. What about you teenagers? How do you serve? Well, you serve by serving your parents, but not always having to make them ask you to take out the trash. You, you, you do it by just, just naturally, even if they don't notice, you just do it automatically. Because that's what a disciple does. A disciple serves. Or maybe you see someone in need. You see someone on the side of the road and they need help. And maybe you don't feel comfortable about stopping and giving them a lift, but you call somebody. You call somebody and you say, you know what, we're going to get you help. You serve it could be serving like you're at a, and this is crazy, I know, you're at a drive-up window. And you pay for your order and you pay for the other person's order behind you. That's just nuts. That's crazy. Yeah. It was crazy and nuts in Jesus' day too, having the Savior of the world bend down and clean junk out of their toes. It is crazy. But that is what Jesus is calling us to do. It's amazing. When in John chapter 13, we're not going to have time to look at this. But at the end of John chapter 13, he brings it all down to a point. And, he's, and he gives them this just amazing, amazing saying. He says, you know what? You, everybody's going to know that you are my disciples if you, and some of you know what it is. Some of you may not. Maybe you've never read the story. He brings and he says, so everybody's going to know that you're my disciples if you, and if you, had, if, if, if you had to just put something in there, you'd probably say because you believed right or you gave so much money or whatever it is. But this is how Jesus finished that sentence. Everyone's going to know that you're my disciples if you love one another. That's what God is calling us to do. That when we bend down and when we, when we do that foot washing, and not literally because we don't do that here. Most churches don't do this because this was a cultural thing. But what is a cultural thing that you can do to help somebody else? You know, I was at the, um, the gas station this morning. You know what you could do? 
is you're washing your windows, go over to the next car, wash their windows. Because a disciple serves. Get out of yourself and see other people how God sees them. A disciple serves. I want to give you um, three quick questions so that you can try to figure out what God is asking you to do, how you can serve. The first question is, what is your motivation? What is your motivation? Because so many people, especially in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, these really religious people, their motivation was, hey, everybody look at me. I'm important. I mean, they would, you know, when they gave, they had these big metal tins that they would drop your offerings in, all right? And they would take like, you know, $5 and they would change it into pennies. And they would drop it in there. And everybody go, ooh, he's a big giver. Ooh. You know, and then what's amazing in that time is you had people who were very, very poor putting $50 in in bills and they didn't make any sound. Because the Pharisees, it was all about the show. It was all about, hey, everybody, look at me. Look what I'm doing. Look at the sacrifice that I'm making. But that, that, that wasn't Jesus' motivation. His motivation was love and compassion. You remember what it said in the beginning of John 13, 1? That he loved them to the very end. Jesus' motivation was love. What's your motivation? Just to get noticed? Just to get close to some key people? Or is it to have love and compassion? The second one is this. What is the need in front of you? Next question. What is the need in front of you? Not what you're planning to do next week. Not what mission trip you're planning on going on next year. But what is happening right now that you could serve? Man... Every day you guys have opportunities to serve, whether it be somebody to drive through, washing somebody's windows, uh, being able to just watch someone's children. I know you've heard us talk about this. Even on Sunday morning, there are so many practical ways that you can serve, whether it be setting up speakers or rolling cords or rocking babies. There are so many ways that you can serve. And in fact, I just want to stop here before I go to the next question. There's a dude in here. His name is Jonathan. He's right back there. And I love embarrassing Jonathan because I love this dude. Um, uh, he just came from Afghanistan a week and a half ago. I think you got back. What, when, what day did you get back, Jonathan? Like a week. What was it Thursday? Thursday. He got back Thursday. I'm in Cheeseburger Charlie's. I meet him and his family there. This is the first words out of his mouth. Hey, what time is set up on Sunday morning? Now, just to let you know about Jonathan, Jonathan has been with one church almost from the very beginning when we were actually uh, worshiping over at the movie theater. And he used to come every Sunday morning and set up and tear down. Now, since we moved here, we've had to move set, set up to back to 5.30 in the morning. So but the first words out of Jonathan's mouth, right when he gets off the bus, is, I want to be at set up this morning. I, I said, and this is what I said. I said, it's at 5.30. And I'm expecting, you know, people to go, bum, bum, bum. He says, I'll be there. You know where he was at at 5.30? This Sunday and last Sunday? He was here. Because the thing I loved about Jonathan, in fact, there's a picture of, of baptizing Jonathan at the movie theater. Man, 
God's got a hold of Jonathan's heart. And um, one of the things is Jonathan and I, we had shared, uh, he just, when I was there when, right when he got on the bus to go to Afghanistan. And one of the things he was worried about, man, is just his spiritual walk while he's over there. And I'm telling you what's so cool is when he got off and I saw him last Thursday, he says, man, I've grown so much. Man, there are people like Jonathan, like so many other people that, you know what, you, you ask yourself, what's in front of you? How can you serve? Some of you are guys or ladies getting ready to be deployed and ask yourself the question, how can you serve other people once you're over in Iraq or in Afghanistan? What can you do practically? The third question is this, what do you have to give? What do you have to give? And I'm not even just talking about money here. I'm talking about what do you, what can you practically just get down and say, you know what, I have this this gift that I can give. It may be sewing. We had somebody this week end up sewing some curtains uh, in here in the, in the theater because that was their gift and that was a need that was given. It could be something as simple as that, but a disciple serves. Uh, all of y'all, when y'all came in today, you should have gotten a hand cloth. Did you, everybody get one? Raise it up if you did. All right, cool. Let me tell you what I want you to do with that. I want that to be a visible reminder for you this week that God is calling you to serve. God is calling you to serve someone. It may be your spouse. It may be a friend. It may be your enemy. But God is calling you to serve someone. So serve. As, as we close, I want to say this. One of the best ways to grow up Because that's really what we're talking about in this discipleship series is growing up. Being a Christian is being born, but becoming a disciple is growing up. One of the best ways to grow up in Jesus Christ is to serve. You can't be a growing Christian without serving. Just can't do it. I'll never forget. Um, Man, when I was was a freshman in college here uh, in Clarksville, Austin P, and... um, I remember, man, I, I, wanted to, I, I wanted just to serve. Uh, and and I, here's my issue, though. I wanted to serve adults. Like, I wanted to be a Sunday school teacher for adults and to wow everybody with my knowledge. Oh, yes. Because it's easy. I think it's fair, sometimes it can be fairly easy to teach adults. <laughs> God had other plans in store for me. And a good friend of mine says, you know what? You're not going to teach adults. We're going to put you teaching sixth grade boys. Dear Jesus. And for that, my freshman year in college, I was a Sunday school teacher to sixth grade boys. And you need to know, I didn't know what it meant to teach anybody anything. Adults, middle schoolers, high schoolers, children, babies. I was an awful teacher. Awful. I would get in there and I would yell at them for an hour and a half. And Sunday school was an hour. And all the parents are outside going, oh, we got stuff to do today. All right? That's, that was their attitude. I, I was awful. But you know what? Serving those sixth graders, I learned a lot. And that's just what you do. You know, when you're teaching somebody, you learn a whole lot more than you could ever teach them. And I, I, I started serving, and I started serving with the right attitude And God just really changed my heart. And that was the beginning of the ministry that God has given me. Starting with teaching sixth grade boys.
So what about you? Some of you are already in ministry. And some of you think, well, I'm not a pastor. But you know, God calls everybody to be in ministry. Some of you, it may be ministry in a school. Some of you, it may be ministry uh, uh, as, a, as, as a first sergeant. Some of you, it may be ministry um, working at Lowe's. Some of you, it may be ministry doing whatever. But wherever God has called you, God is saying you can serve other people. And by serving other people, you serve me. Jesus said, whoever gives a cup of cold water in my name, when you've done it to the least of these, you've served me. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much, Lord, that you call us not to just be spiritual consumers, but to be people who serve. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, that that you give us and you give us opportunities to be able to serve one another. Lord, so many times, I know we got so many people, especially here at One Church, who just, they serve week after week. Week after week. And it's not because of, for one person, it's not even because of, the, it's because they serve you, Jesus Christ. Lord, I know there's some people in here that you're calling them to serve their spouse. You're calling them to serve their boss who's just angry and mean. But you call us all to serve. And Lord, that's what I pray. That all of us would get outside of ourselves and that we would leverage our importance, our status for other people. Lord, I pray for those right now who need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God. There's going to be some people along the sides of the walls of this room that afterwards, that if somebody needs to just go and have somebody pray with you, they can be able to do that. If there's other people, just say, you know what, I feel like maybe I, 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 I should serve more. Maybe I could even serve the church. You could go and talk to those same group of people, and they can pray with you, and they can be able to answer any questions you might have. We love you, Jesus Christ. In your name that we pray, amen.